Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Start and end your day with the good news. The good news with Angie Austin. Find the podcast of past shows at AngieAustinRadio.com. Now, here's Angie Austin and friends with the good news. Hello, friend. It is Angie Austin and friends. The Good News Gals are here. I'll introduce all of the Good News Gals in a moment. Also, Carrie Zorno. Uh, she is an author, and uh, she understands how Christ illuminates the darkness, specializing in grief, stress, and health and wellness. She is a board-certified Christian life coach, and she's here to talk about Tattooed by Grief, a faith-based approach to healthy he- helping youth impacted by loss. Again, it's tattooed by grief. So welcome, Carrie. Hello. Wonderful to be here. Now we've got the good news gals who may pipe in with some questions at first. And boy, we've got a full house today. We've got Cindy, Michelle, Michelle, Beatrice, and Jennifer. We're all uh, Christian businesswomen and authors and speakers. And uh, we hope we bring a little sunshine into your day. We wanted to start, as we normally do, with a good news story. And I thought it really uh, tied in with uh, Carrie's book, Tattooed by Grief. And I think that Michelle Ron, Miss Senior America 2004 speaker, <laughs> Uh, who is uh, joining us uh, recently uh, uh, in Florida where she uh, winter, she's a snowbird, but I grabbed her just for a week while she's back. Uh, and you were a music teacher, and I love how music can help heal the soul. Oh, I agree. It goes deep into the heart, the soul, and it. there are no words for music because it's, it's, it's such a feeling of one with Christ. And uh, Michelle, you have over the years, one of the things you feel is a blessing, which I think would be extremely d- difficult to do, you feel it's an honor to sing at funerals for Christ. It's my very favorite thing to do. It's the time when Jesus and I just simply sit and talk to each other. And I can't tell you how many times at a service that starts, the, um, the songs have not been given to me because I always pray about them. And usually when I work for a, uh, when I'm singing for a funeral home, it means they don't have a church, which means that that's, God has put me there. And what is it that he has me in mind to do? And I pray about what he wants sung and it just comes. And it is, um, it's a, it's the best blessing that I have. I can't wait when I get to home, go home to live with Jesus, to meet the people that I've encountered through all the funerals. Oh, I love it. All right, well, let's, uh, let's start then talking about uh, music and how it's bringing together a widow and a widower. And I think it's interesting because the woman didn't have much money as a kid, but her family would scrape together the, you know, the pennies, nickels, and dimes every week for her music lesson. Mm-hmm. Take a listen. My parents, they weren't well-to-do at all, but they did provide a piano lesson once a week for 75 cents. They were able to do that. Piano lesson. Who knew where they would lead? Very tough. Charlene Mortensen. In the evening when you're alone. Last year, the day after Christmas. It was quite sudden. Charlene lost her Daryl at 81. There were the mornings where she would be crying and not wanting to get out of bed. Jody Mayer remembers day one. 
last spring of assisted living, her mother entering, then clinging to the wall. She says, I don't want to go in, I don't want to go in, and it broke all of her hearts. 75 cents a week, Charlene's parents had paid for those piano lessons. Sometimes we can't imagine the treasures our investment will yield. They've really only known each other about seven months. Dwayne Anderson moved into Elder Homestead a few weeks after Charlene. It didn't take long for the former high school band director to find her. Dwayne, too, had lost his spouse and more. It's the Battle of the Bulge. When your hands have been shattered by a World War II mortar, it's hard to play alone. Harder still when you're 92 and you've lost most of your eyesight and hearing. She actually is my eyes and my ears because if I make a mistake and she catches it, she will tell me. Both have known loss. Then both landed in rooms within feet of each other. We play a little, hug a little, <laughs> that sort of thing. I'm part of her life, you know, that's important. It is human nature to project the way our lives will someday look. But the key to happiness is finding our way. Oh, soft. When life rearranges the picture. What do you think, ladies? They were God-placed. Mm -hmm. God-placed. Mm -hmm. God incidents. What a beautiful, like, mm -hmm. thing to do together, you know? I mean, I feel like it should be said more, like, they play music together and what a bond they have. But just <laughs> how cool that they can just sit at the piano and help each other out. Mm -hmm. Right, mm -hmm. right. That's so Beautiful. cute. I know, isn't it? <laughs> it was. Like he likes to hug in between the songs. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so And what sweet. was that book put out several years ago called God Winks? God Winks. That's yeah. definitely a God that's Wink. That's a God yeah. Wink. Oh, that's a good way to put it. it. I, I love, love that it. little phrase, right? Yeah, it is. We get those God Winks. They're mm -hmm. so cool. We don't know the things that God is getting ready to do in our lives or the things that he's going to allow us to, you know, to experience. And so it's good to be open for those moments because those moments just happen like that. Mm -hmm. How exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really is. Mm -mm. All right, Carrie Zorno uh, joining us. I mentioned at the top of the show, her book is Tattooed by Grief, a faith-based approach to helping youth impacted by loss. So talk about, Carrie, uh, you know, why you wrote the book and what it's about. Well, because of my losses, and really they went back to uh, Thanksgiving of 2003, my two middle children, Josh and Beth, um, had been diagnosed with cystic fibrosis um, at birth, basically, shortly after. And Beth had spent some time in the hospital. She said, I, I don't want to die suffocating in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And at the age of 17, she realized that was what would happen if she lived a, quote, long, full life. And uh, she asked, you know, what can I do? And I said, well, if you could tell God how you wanted to die, what would you tell him? And so she said, oh, I want to die fast. And of course, her brother Josh chimes in, and I want to die doing something fun, and I don't want to die alone. Well, Abby and Chris, my oldest and my youngest, um, so I have girl boy, girl boy, um, just sat there and just listened. Well, four months later, 
I lost Josh and Beth in a motorcycle accident. Mm. And God answered their prayer. Mm. They died fast, doing something fun. And they didn't die alone. Mm. And so in through my grief over that, I could see God's faithfulness. It was brutal on us, but it was merciful on them. And um, it was about two and a half years later, I was feeling myself come out of the fog of grief, out of the darkness, and, and started realizing there was color still in the world. Um, my youngest son, Chris, was now 17, and uh, we had gone through all the counselors and everything. But he couldn't see a way out. Yeah. Being a teenager, things, what's happening now, they feel like that's how it's going to feel forever. Yeah, they don't realize it gets better after high school. Yeah, whether it's joy, oh, I'm going to feel this forever. Oh, it's sadness, I'm going to feel this forever. And it's just moment to moment. And they haven't lived long enough to know things go in waves. And this is just temporary. <laughs> and uh, he took his own life. And after that, of course, I went through another very deep, deep time of grief um, to the point of feeling like I really, I wanted to give up. Sure. But God wouldn't let me. And one day I found myself just curled up in bed realizing, oh, this is how people end up in the mental institutions. And, and God said, you have a choice to make. And I had not heard his voice for two and a half years. And I realize now, looking back, that it was because of this white noise mm -hmm. in my life of the grief, of the sorrow, of the pain, and the regrets that I wasn't hearing, though he was always there. And he said, you have a choice to make. You can curl up and you can stay in bed and you can give in. Mm -hmm. Or you can swing your feet off of that bed and put them on the floor and do something. So you can tell what I chose. And I looked around me and I realized that in that two and a half year period between Josh and Beth's death and Chris's death, and between Chris's death and when I came out of my fog, our little community had not just lost my kids because they were, Beth was 17, Josh was 20, and now Chris was 17. They had not just lost my kids, but they had lost five other friends mm -hmm. to suicide, drug overdose, and car accidents. Mm -hmm. And my heart just ached for them. After Josh and Beth, I had led a Bible study with Beth's friends because they had a lot of questions, and so did I. And their questions forced me to get into God's Word to find answers, and we met every week. Mm -hmm. We talked about those questions, and I gave them the answers from God's Word. Well, now I'm looking at it going, I need to give support to these teenagers mm -hmm. that are in my community that have suffered such loss. I started looking for curriculum. And in 2006, I found nothing. Wow. And I turned and once again to the Lord, Lord, show me where it is and I'll do it. I'm willing to do it. And he told me, write it. Mm -hmm. And so a week at a time, I'd say, okay, everybody, we're going to meet on Tuesday. And our church gave us permission for a space. And, we, and so that week before, I'd write that week's lesson. Mm -hmm. 
and then we'd meet. And then I'd write the next week's lesson, and we'd meet. And we met 10 times. And at the end of that, I had the parent of one of the girls say, you need to write this down. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, okay. So I wrote down the curriculum, and then I realized that was not really what God wanted. And I redid it as a handbook. And that wasn't really fully what God wanted. Mm-hmm. And now it's a resource book. Amen. And that's why I wrote Tattooed by Grief, primarily because our teens, they don't know how to grieve. That's right. That's true. Unfortunately, we have whitewashed it mm-hmm. as we have lost family members. And grief is not just over the loss of family members. Mm-hmm. It can be over the loss of a job. That's right. A friendship. A, a friendship. A home. Absolutely. And so there's many losses that they have, we all have experienced. So in doing this, I gave people a resource that could help them understand what healthy grief looks like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because the way our kids learn is by example. Amen. And this was written for youth pastors, for parents. And every adult that has gotten back with me after having read it said, oh, I read it because my teens need it. And this was a youth pastor, and he goes, I didn't realize how much I needed it. Right, and working with all those kids. If you're just joining us, Carrie Zorno is talking about her book, Tattooed by Grief and the Loss of Three of Her Four Children Over the Course of Just a -a Two-and-a-Half-Year Period, uh, a faith-based approach to helping youth impacted by loss. And I think this is really timely because we'd been talking this week about uh, the young man who took his life in Newport Beach and his uh, suicide notes had been put out and they basically thanked and loved his family, four kids in the family, and uh, how talked about how wonderful they were, but he said the pressures of being a teenager and the pressure that schools put on kids to succeed and to get into college and the right college and the right SAT score and the right grades uh, that he just couldn't handle the pressure anymore. And he kind of, his um, notes, his suicide notes were almost like spread around the country. They went, went viral and kind of a, uh, um, don't pressure your kids so much or parents step back from, the, the kids aren't us. We keep thinking that mm-hmm. the, the children are a rep- representation of us. Yeah, yeah. And we've got to stop doing that. We've got to let these kids know that they have a life that they're going to have to live and we can't make them into many me's. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got to let them grow, let them be who God has called and created them to be because that's the only place they're going to find their fulfillment. Carrie, I, I just want to say to you, God bless mm. you, girl. God bless you. I, I, I'm going to be praying for you. Mm-hmm. We're going to pray for you at the end of this show. Thank I'm, you. I'm the prayer, prayer, prayer. <laughs> okay. Prayer warrior. But, um, you know, when it comes to grief and I, I just lost, um, my high school basketball coach and that, that thing tore me up. It really Stare did. Very, she was I, that, a mentor to her That thing tore me up. I, I cried. I cried like a, like a freshman. I really did. But how do you tell these kids to, just go ahead and grieve. Just go ahead and cry, baby. Go ahead and cry. How do you tell them that? Well, when they understand that feelings will only heal when they're expressed. If you take a feeling and you bury it alive, 
eventually it will come up yes. and it comes up ugly mm-hmm. in in anger and deeper pain than it was originally and so encouraging them to express their grief it can be in dance it can be in art it can be mm-hmm. in in running um it can be in writing yeah it can uh it can be in color, like it can be in a journal that you color beautiful mm-hmm. colors. That like grief mm-hmm. doesn't have to be just like sitting in a chair talking to a counselor. And grieving can be done, like you said. There's so many creative ways to do it. Mm-hmm. I loved your analogy to with the tattoo. Could you share that a little bit? I think that's really relevant. Yeah. Well, it really traces back. I was walking through my church and just before service, and there was somebody with a tattoo. And I walked up, and I asked them, why do you have the tattoo? Tell me the story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And found that behind every, nearly every tattoo, there was a story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That's true. You're right. Absolutely. Wow. And mm-hmm. tat- grief is invisible, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it leaves a mark on our heart. Amen. Amen. Tattooed by grief. That's good. That's, That's real beautiful. good right there. Excellent. How old is your uh, child? You still have a child at home? I do. I have a 36-year-old daughter. Okay. And she now has a daughter who turns two next week. Oh, 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 your grandma. See, that's also God said, you know, you have to stay. You know, that you, you, there was a purpose for you not, not to give up. Yes. And now you get to be a grandma, too, and help all these other people who are grieving. And I think in our community, like, we don't know what to do. Michelle, we've been po- we posted the story about the boy's suicide. Yeah. It was said, not just another suicide, because mm-hmm. they become that, another suicide. Right. But when we got to read his notes, and I'm glad for a short time they were released, Amen. because it was an eye-opener yes, for was. me. Yes, it mm-hmm. was. It was to, to know what the... The, pressure. the teacher, you know, how they just put pressure on these kids and stuff. And I'm still a little bit kind of ticked off about that. I am. I'm like, you need to quit. You need to quit teaching. You I just, am just in, really in defense of the teacher, though. Because I mean, she was a teacher. Yeah. Well, because the teachers are so under pressure that yeah, their understood. scores have to be great. Understood. Because the money doesn't come in unless they are producing. And so... Uh, I'm not. I'm not saying she did the right thing at all. I'm just he, saying he didn't, that he didn't those give the teachers the, the are really under pressure to do things that they normally wouldn't be yeah. doing. I get I that. I get that. And I, I think that children they can feel when you're being tough with love, though. Yeah, they oh, can right. tell the difference. Exactly. Right. And when you are hard on them, Absolutely. but you do it out of love, they can they can feel that sure. and appreciate that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. I think you're right. Love comes well, through. Okay. I, I got a chance to talk to Michelle's daughter, who is, uh, you know, a teenager and uh, and very very tall. She's very tall. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, she said to me, she was looking forward to going on to high school because she said kids are just so immature. She goes, I get it. I'm tall. So and she said some really just interesting things to me that I thought were very mature. She said, you know, everywhere I go, people stare at me. So I try to not get attention on myself. And I always try to look nice. She puts herself together really. She's really beautiful. It does very tasteful, light makeup and uh, nicely dressed. Because she said, everyone always stares at me. So I want to make sure that mm-hmm. I, I'm very presentable. And I think that, Michelle, the thing that your family is doing for her uh, is we surround these kids with love because they're not always going to get that love. Like the things my mm-hmm. son tells me that his kids say to him at school. And it's usually superficial, stupid things, right? It but is. they're not they're cruel yeah and that like when he got a little sore in his lip and they said he had told everybody he had herpes right and i'm like does that bother you because i don't care what they say Good i mean him. i just hope that we can toughen them up 
but then offer them the love at home. We have to provide an environment at home for them to be able to come home to where we're not picking on them too, or we're not pressuring them too. We're not demanding too much of them. We're not criticizing them. Their siblings aren't coming down on them. We have to give that environment of love. Again, the book is Tattooed by Grief, a faith-based approach to helping youth impacted by loss. Carrie with a C, Zorno, C-A-R-I-Z-O-R-N-O. Carrie, do you have a website? Yes, I do. It's CarrieZorno.com. Excellent. All right. Thank you, ladies. We'll be right back. Thank you. The good news of Jesus for you in high-definition radio and streaming at 670KLTT.com. This is KLTT Commerce City, Denver. Go wild this spring break with the YMCA of the Rockies. This year we've transformed the YMCA Estes Park Center into an exotic jungle safari. Crikey! The jungle-themed spring break at the YMCA of the Rockies is jam-packed with fun family activities like safari hiking, where you get to identify local wildlife, special jungle crafts, exciting wild animal trivia, and so much more. Go wild activities are offered every day starting March 9th and continue through March 30th. The YMCA of the Rockies, we love to bring real bonding experiences for families of all sizes. And every season brings affordable, fun excitement for the whole family. Go to ymcaoftherockies.org. Don't sit around the spring break doing nothing when this YMCA of the Rockies is like an exotic destination vacation right in your own backyard. Go wild! The YMCA of the Rockies. That's ymcaoftherockies.org. Well, we interviewed this wonderful author just a short time ago, and I had to have her back because the other book she wrote, my aunt gave to me and my mom, maybe a little bit of a hint. I received it in the mail, opened up the package, and it said, 30 Days to Taming Your Tongue by Deborah Smith Pigay. And so then when you said that you wrote the book, Deborah, I thought, we have got to have you on the air again. (laughs) Good afternoon. How are you? I am well. So, you know, it's interesting because I'll be honest with you, Grand Grand, my mom who lives with us, she has such a tongue with the grandkids. And so I had talked to my aunt and like, what do I do? Like, there's a sense of unforgiveness in her from her past and it comes out in rage on my children. And I've told her, I'm like, we cannot teach them to be good Christian kids if there's such rage and hatred in your voice. And so my aunt sent this to both of us. And so my mom's like, oh, she sent it to you too. And I'm like, well, I think I'm sure. Sure, we both need to work on it, but I have a reason. I have a feeling I know the reason she sent it. So, what? Why did you write Thirty Days to Taming the Tongue? Because I, I've actually wrote it as a project for myself because I had used my tongue in a way that wasn't wise, and I decided that I was going to go on. I was going to go on a verbal fast, and that's what the book is. It's a, it's a, it's a period of verbal abstinence from negativity. So I just decided that I was going to do that for myself. I didn't know it would resonate with the world the way it has. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much why I wrote it, because death and life are in the power of the tongue. And we can bring life with our tongue, or we cannot bring life. So I just decided, for me, I want to add value to people's lives with my words. Oh, I love that. I love the song by Toby Mac, Speak Life. And it's so, I show it to my kids because it shows them how your words can hurt people. And they show a little boy actually in like the circle of chalk that they put around Mm -hmm. someone who's died. And my kids said, did you die? Did he die? I said, no, they're showing us how painful, how the words are killing him on the inside and that the bullying and the words, they hurt him so badly that it's like he's dying inside. So let's talk about... um, 
you know, how we go about taming our tongue. Because I'll be honest with you, when you're, when you get fired up, I'd say 10 times of me getting like poked by the bear, the kids at home, you know, really homework. And he touched my spoon and that's my bowl. And he ate my last Cheerio. He's eating my tricks, you know, I, that I'll yell and I don't want to yell because I know that calm is contagious. So how do we tame our tongue? Well, you got to get intentional and understand, first of all, that no man can tame the tongue in his own strength. So you're going to have to have some help. Now, I had a great mentor who said, you got to stop thinking, pray before you speak. She said, because you have the power to demolish people with your words. And words are like a hammer. So you're going to build or you're going to tear down. So I, you get intentional. And I don't want to sound like a walking Bible, but there is a scripture that says, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. And anytime you're cutting someone up or even just being negative in any way, then that's it. That's that. Then you know, okay, I need to stop and take heat. And in the book, I have 30 negative uses of the tongue that you refrain from. And that's the whole thing is to make it very practical. So for 30 days, there are 30 things you couldn't do and uh, or that you want to be sensitive to your, uh, your propensity to, to speak in this regard. And one of the one is just complaining. Oh, yeah. So I, that, that's like one of the biggest, complaining. And so I put people on a 24-hour complaining fast for 24 <laughs> hours. <laughs> I love that. A fast from complaining. I would like to give that fast to several people I know, including myself. But I love that, to fast from complaining. Right. You'd be surprised how effective it is, just for you personally, because we were going to Hawaii and I said, okay, I'm on, I'm on a 24-hour complaining fast. Well, before we even got to the airport, I was complaining about the traffic, and it really sensitizes you to your tendency to be negative. And so for each day, then I'll have, um, you know, a charge for that day. What negativity are you going to refrain from, and what scripture will you stand on to do that? So for that complaining fast, I have Psalms 142 and 1, and it says, I cry aloud with my voice to the Lord. I pour out my complaints before him which means I'm not telling everybody else. If I'm going to complain, I'm just going to complain to God. And I always tell people, just complain to the person who can do something about it. That's so a that's good just point. one of them. Yeah, and then the other one is not being critical. It's oh, like, okay, good. stop being critical. Stop critiquing people's behavior, because it really demoralizes people when you're critical, and it certainly doesn't endear them to want to be with you. <laughs> no, no, not at all. And I I had an expert tell me recently in the uh, psychology field, I said, you know, hey, I've been talking to my husband because he's kind of critical of my son. And uh, I said, I told him that for every criticism, he really needs to give him an attaboy, like a kudos. And he said, oh, no, it's more like five to one, five encouragements for one uh, uh, criticism to rebuild back up your self-esteem because the criticism stings so much and stays with him. And I think there's a way to criticize uh, I would say it's not even criticized. There's a way to um, critique your child's uh, performance in school or, um, you know, uh, in, in terms of sports in a way that's not so um, the hammer taking them down, as you put it. Exactly. But some people think that being critical like that is encouraging and motivating. Oh, yeah. It's it helps. Not, you know. helps them. <laughs> You know, it's like crazy or way to go, Einstein, which means like you're really being dumb here. That's not the way to do it. Listen, you really do catch more bees with honey. And Absolutely. With so I just make it, a, I'm very intentional in making sure I speak those kind of words, and especially to a man. 
I want oh, to tell yeah. the women that, especially to a man. They need to be validated, appreciated. So if I'm going to give my husband a criticism, it's usually in the form of a question. And I'll say, can you explain me what you meant by that? And when you did that, can you explain me where you were going with that? Can you explain your rationale for me? I don't say, why in the world? <laughs> because right. that little thing itself implies that everybody else knows better to do this than you. So you're stupid. Yeah, I think we have to, like you said, really think before we speak, uh, you know, take a breath and really think of how to word something. And I love your idea of a question. You know, what did you mean by that? How did you mean for me to take that? So we've right. talked about um, some of the um, the complaint fasting, uh, criticism, fasting from criticism, um, lying, I know, is in your book. That w- yes, I was about to say that. The lying is a big one. I, I start the book out with that one. Because lying, a lot of people think, well, I don't tell the big stuff. I just tell the little lies. But lies, they're really about four forms of lying. You can be out and out deceitful, or you can tell half the truth, which I used to be a master at. I would oh. tell half the truth, and I'd say, well, the half I told was true. <laughs> Interesting. But, but the intent was to deceive. For I instance, see. I live in Los Angeles and I would rush into a meeting late because I haven't allowed enough time. And I'd sit down and I'd say, ah, traffic. Now, see, I didn't say I was in traffic. I implied. Oh. <laughs> Any intent to deceive is a lie. And then there are people who just exaggerate. That's a form of lying. Stretching the truth, exaggerating is a form of lying. And then flattering, just an insincere compliment to ingratiate yourself with somebody. And a lot of times we don't even realize we're doing it. But when, if you read this book, you will. No <laughs> because kidding. Because it's going to sensitize you to, to not to be uh, doing those kinds of things. All right. And then, of course, uh, there's, there's being judgmental. That's a, that's a big one in our culture. Huge. You know, and these yeah. aren't even ones we think about, about taming the tongue. Here, when I, you know, first saw the title of the book, I thought it just means to not uh, react in anger and say things you don't mean. But really, it's everyday life. It's that uh, being judgmental. Or um, you mentioned yeah. gossip in the book that a lot of us will be like and, and say like, oh, and you know, pray for her. After you gossip yeah. about them, like somehow it's Christian now because you said pray for her after you gossiped about her. <laughs> and you got to really watch that gossiping thing because it tells you a lot about yourself when you want to be the first one to tell some choice little morsels about somebody else's business. That's, a, that's an attempt to get attention. And, you know, if you just really look in the mirror and say, why do I want to be a carrier of this kind of news? What, is it making me look better to other people? And just know you reap what you sow. So you just got to watch it that when you talk about somebody, ask yourself, would I say this if this person were present? Yes. If you wouldn't say the person was present, that's a good chance you shouldn't say that. I agree. Same thing with emails. It's your tongue in email form. You know, you're speaking it through an email. Do not put anything in that email you would not want the person to see. Do not do that. It will (laughs) end in disaster. Yes. What and about to speak to your issue? Uh-huh, what about the indiscreet tongue? Does that go into the gossip tongue? What What exactly do you mean by the indiscreet tongue? Not using wisdom in what you say. Not using discretion. In fact, that was the reason. I believe it or not, that was the reason I wrote the book. Interesting. <laughs> I, someone had told me something. She didn't say it was a secret, but I didn't use wisdom in sharing it with the person she had told it to. I was trying to rescue a friend from an incompetent worker, and she said. And I, so I sent a message that that worker needed to tighten up her act. Well, that was just not being discreet because she didn't ask me to share that. But I thought if I just kind of planted the seed in the worker, she would tighten it up. I was trying to help my friend, but it backfired. So a lot of times we have to use discretion. 
expression in what we say. And, and, and there are scriptures for that. In fact, Proverbs 2.11 says, discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. So we just got to say, is, does this make sense? Does it add value to somebody's life? Well, and I, I love that example because really a lot of us do it just like you did. We're, we're like, oh, well, we know better. We know this person. We can talk to them. We can say something mm-hmm. that'll end this problem. And we, we, put, we put ourselves in the middle um, with the in, in, uh, indiscreet tongue and we get mm-hmm. involved in something we don't need to. Another one I think that would probably uh, be in a similar arena is the uh, retaliating tongue, you know, trying to mm-hmm. uh, say something in an argument or even behind someone back to get back at them, to let something slip that you know will harm them, uh, that yeah. maybe even you've known for a while, but all of a sudden you're angry, so you're going to let it out, or letting information um, be disclosed that you know they probably would not want out in the world. But like you said, yeah, maybe they didn't say it was a yeah, secret. Right. It's and in arguments, people do it all the time. Mm-hmm. They'll say, oh, well, yeah. everybody thinks you're this way. Everybody's saying that you're that. Everybody. Yeah, that's meant to hurt. And, and when you look at that word retaliating, it means to return the punishment. So if someone says something and you you want to return the punishment, well, you didn't do that. It's, it's not accomplishing a goal of trying to get a better relationship. You're just trying to inflict pain. And most of us, when we're in arguments with people, we're not really listening. We are loading our guns so that <laughs> we'll have our ammunition ready when they finish talking. I always tell everybody, if you're in an argument, Count three seconds before you respond. Let the person finish speaking and then just silently say one, two, three. Because first of all, you will resolve the issue much faster if that person thinks he's been heard. And that silence, the same letters that spell silent, by the way, spell listen, that silence will cause that person to believe that you are really listening, even if you aren't. (laughs) Interesting. But, uh, you know, there's another way that silence is used. Uh, that I think is interesting, and I've always thought this is something I'm very aware of, especially because I worked in newsrooms so many years, TV newsrooms. If there's a conversation going on that you don't agree with and they're gossiping about someone and you stand there, your silence makes them think you agree. Yes, yes. And, and, and because sometimes we don't have the courage to say, I don't share that opinion. You see, mm-hmm. we, can, we can learn how to, how to disagree without being disagreeable. And so a lot of times I'll just say, I don't, I don't, I don't share that. Or if somebody's gossiping, let's say, about a movie star or someone, I was in a beauty shop and someone said, what do you think about Oprah and Stegman? And I just very gently said, I, I don't know them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just said, I don't know them. But silence also, is we use it as a weapon. And, and that's the last use of the negative oh. tongue I, I talk about in the book, the silent tongue, and where we just go silent. We give people the silent treatment when we should be communicating, but we use the silence as a weapon. And I'm challenging people, you know, listen, say what you need to say. Tell someone your behavior has had a negative impact on me, and I really need it to stop. Well, I need you not to do this, rather than just being silent. And a lot of times we do that, and the person doesn't even know why you're being silent. So that's not a mature way to handle that. You want to make sure that if someone is is upsetting you, that you say it in a very non-threatening way, that I was hurt by that. I have to say that I think the silence is a very, you you said um, it it lacks maturity. It's a very insecure way to, quote unquote, punish someone. I think it's also a way that controlling people use to control our behavior. And so I have someone in my life, if I do something she doesn't like, she'll stop talking to me. And it's a family member. So if they stop talking to you for a year, (laughs) it can, um, (laughs) you know, throw a wrench in family relations. And so it's a way to get, uh, to get control sometimes over you, to get you to do 
do what they want you to do. I call it just emotional blackmail. And then yeah. you're fearful to speak your mind uh, around them because you're afraid of that retaliation again. You don't want that to happen again. And so um, yeah. you drop your boundaries and let them maybe walk all over you because you're afraid they're going to do it again. And it is a form of, of kind of a cruel form of control. Absolutely. And that's why it's incumbent upon you not to cater to that. That person knows that they know that's a le- that's leverage against you. So if you just, you know, okay, I'll cater to you. Just just don't alienate me. Well, just, you know, if they decide not to speak, fine. You know, there are seven billion people in the world. Just, you know, you really don't have to be connected to that one person all the time. And if you're just joining us again, 30 Days to Taming Your Tongue, What You Say and Don't Say Will Improve Your Relationship, uh, Deborah Smith-Begay. Um, all right, let's 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 go, Deborah, to the issue that I think the book was sent to our family uh, to solve, um, just reacting in anger. I, I, I did not grow up with a mom who was angry and mean and said mean things or filled with rage, who was very loving, and I'd love for my children to see that. That the mother that I grew up with, but mm-hmm. if they put their socks in the wrong place or they um, mildly, yeah. as she thinks, uh, talk back, the rage that comes out is so inappropriate. I can't even tell you, and I don't know what to do. And so, and even in myself, if I I, I am known to yell um, when the kids push my button. So, how do we handle um, taming the tongue when it comes to like the anger and then saying things or using a tone that we wouldn't like to use? Well, first of all, you, you get intentional. You, you become aware of when you do that. And whenever you do it, you apologize. And realize you're, you're bringing much too, too much firepower to that fight. It's yeah. Just, it's just too much to get all excited. And so you, you, you get scriptures like a soft answer turns away wrath. And you can say, I'm, I'm a person, I open my mouth with wisdom. There are so many scriptures that speak to how we should use our tongue in those kinds of situations. But one of them is in Proverbs 31, and it's, it talks about this ideal woman. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. So you say, that's who I am. I'm a woman who opens my mouth with wisdom, and on my tongue is the law of kindness. You begin to declare that about yourself so that, you know, you'll have what you say and you believe what you say. Say it out loud to yourself that I am a woman of kindness. I use my words kindly. And so, and if you see your children doing that, you just stop them because sometimes people aren't aware of how they are screaming at people, even even in an email where someone uses a, an exclamation uh, point, you know, after something. I asked my husband yesterday, why are you yelling at the publisher for not sending the books on time? He said, oh, I used the wrong punctuation mark. No, no, no. On the keyboard, that's above the letter. That's above one. There's no punctuation marks up there. <laughs> you intentionally oh. yelled at the person. So oh, become aware. Become aware of it and then decide. You say, God, help me. You know, apart from God, we can do nothing. But once you listen to yourself, stop, think, and pray before you respond. And don't tolerate that from the ch- your children. You know, teach them to say, wait a minute, let's, let's see how we could have said that differently. Yeah. Let's try that again. Yeah. Stop them and say, hey, let's try that again. Let me hear how you could have said that differently because I know you can. You know, always express hope. I know you can. I know you have it within you to do that. Let's see how we could say that differently. And you could do it with a, an adult or a child. 
Yeah. Well, I and I, I'll come. All the time. <laughs> I'll come in between my mom and the kids in some ridiculous argument. And the other day, it was over vitamins that Faith, who's six, gave hope to yellows. But that's her trick because Faith doesn't like yellows, so she gives the yellow gummy vitamins to her brother and sister because she doesn't want them. So then Hope says she doesn't want the yellows because no one in the family likes the yellows, and Faith's trying to trick her. So my mom all of a sudden is in this, and she is screaming her head off with rage at Hope for not taking the vitamins. And so I came in, and I said, well, how could we solve this you know, horrific vitamin dilemma more calmly? Could Hope just pick out her own vitamins and we put the yellow back? Would that be an easy solution? So I'm always trying to talk to them about problem solving, that it isn't that difficult to solve some of these problems. Yes, and tell them how, and especially your mother, she needs to know that physically she's killing herself with using all of that extra adrenaline for something so small. And you can say, listen, don't even increase your heart rate so much. We only get so many heartbeats in a lifetime. Why use up 10 or 20, 30 extra ones just on something so minor? Let's so just true. Save it for the big stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know that yeah. it um, shortens your life to have that kind of anger, kind of pent up inside. And you know, I've been told that sometimes when you have you know issues in your past or bitterness, unforgiveness, that it oozes out on the wrong people because you couldn't maybe stand up to the people you're so angry with, but mm-hmm. it can ooze out on the helpless people, like the waitress, the the waiter, the janitor, uh, the people at t- uh, t- uh, TSA when you're going through. I'm just thinking of examples when my mom's been mean to someone and I'm like, mom, these are the service people that take care of us. These are not appropriate people to take anger out on because they're not the decision makers. If you're upset with something, they're not the ones that are at fault. And so they just Mm -hmm. have to sit and take it. And I think it's really cruel to do that to someone like a grandchild or someone in a defenseless position, like a server service worker. Right. And and you could say who in your life, you know, really enraged you, but you didn't, you know, you weren't able to confront them or you chose not to. Because, you know, she needs to get to the root of that because a lot of angry people are angry with themselves that they tolerated madness for so long. And now they're not going to tolerate it from anybody, even the people who are not even directed. You see what I'm saying? Yes. My, My mother had Alzheimer's. Well, she had dementia, but in her latter days, I heard her talking to the air, to the atmosphere, and she would be talking about the women that my father had had affairs with, and she would be cursing them out, and my mother never cursed. She never cursed, but she would talk about, I'm going to kick your da-da-da, and I thought, you know what, those are things that she wished she had said back then. She wished she had pushed back, but she had chosen not to, and now, you know, really that... Listen, if you don't handle that kind of stuff right, studies show that it changes the chemistry in your, in your brain. And, make, and it. It, it will cause you to get a, 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 an imbalance. It's like, so deal with this properly. Don't, ex, don't use all that extra adrenaline on something so minor. And oh. get to the root of it. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm telling you, we want you back. Deborah Smith-Begay, 30 Days to Taming Your Tongue. Your website, Deborah? Confrontingissues.com. Excellent. Thanks. We'll have you back. Thank you so much, Angie. Have a great day. All right, Angie Austin here along with Adam. Adam is an ambassador with ARC, and when you shop at ARC, it helps the ambassadors. They help people in our community. Every dollar you spend helps, and everything you donate helps. ARC is a tremendous benefit to people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Now, there's a Saturday sale. Most items half off. If I'm a senior, 55 and over, on Tuesdays, most items are half off. How do we find out about that? ARCthrift.org. How about if I want to donate? Where do I donate? 303-238-JANE. You call them and they'll pick up whatever you need. Furniture, small, big. Medium. Medium. 
Yep, absolutely. Uh, a small, big, medium. Yes, They'll bring ma'am. the truck right on over. What's yes, the ma'am. number? 303-238-JANE. Yeah, they bring a truck right to your house. 303-238-JANE. Yes, 303-238-JANE. ARCthrift.org. Does uh, ARC make you feel special? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I thought so. We are special. ARCthrift.org. As are you, babe. As are you. Thank you. Do you love working for ARC? I love ARC. Angie Austin here. You know, I talk a lot about ARC, and I think they do such good work. I shop there. We call it shopping with a purpose, and I've got some of the ARC ambassadors with me here, and I really like how ARC, uh, you know, supports people who are differently abled and gives, gives them the opportunity to have a wonderful job, and by shopping there... We're also supporting the ambassadors, but also the greater community as well. So Dominic Rivera is here, and Dominic, you work directly with the ambassadors. How does shopping at ARC help them and the community? Well, the 27 locations that we have uh, in the state, if you come and you uh, either donate or shop, it helps with our chapters, and it also helps with our social programs that we have here at the ARC thrift stores. And, you know, one of my friends, Lori, I've mentioned many times, Lori uh, told me that before she even worked for ARC, um, she'd outgrown her wheelchair, which is a painful way to get around. If you don't fit in your wheelchair, it's you're in pain all day. And uh, ARC helped get her a new wheelchair, and they're not cheap, by the way. And so I always remember that when I'm shopping and think about, wow, this is helping someone like my friend Lori uh, get a wheelchair. How wonderful this is that every dollar I spend goes to a good cause. And by the way, I found the most amazing capes um, there recently from um, Saks Fifth Avenue. No, Lord and Taylor, which, I mean, I don't even shop there. It's so expensive. It blew my mind. There were two of them, and my girls were like, ooh, look at those. And I... <laughs> I bought them. All right, Donna is here, and Bobby is here, and Adam, and they are all ambassadors. Yes, so, ma'am. Donna, I'll introduce you first, ladies first. Uh, tell us where you work at, uh, at ARC and how long you've been there. I work at ARC in Arvada, and I will be there six years. Six years, and uh, what do you do there? I work in production, and I'm a hanger. And you've been very positive in the times I've met you before. What do you like about working for ARC? Everything. I love that. You like everything. I mean, you've got friends, obviously. You you bring home a paycheck, and you have a job that's fulfilling. Is it one of your favorite jobs that you've ever had? Yes. It is? Why is it your favorite? Is it the friendships? Is it uh, just the way that they're run? What do you like about ARC? Everything. I love that. I mean, who can who can complain about someone an employee saying I like everything about my job? Right. We, well, we have like two, three events once a month. When I asked uh, Donna's store manager if she can come to the show, he was like, "Oh no, not again! I, I really need her today." Aww. And, but, but you got to come anyway, Donna. <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm so glad. You're such a ray of sunshine. All right, Bobby, you too are so positive. I've loved interviewing you over the years of my partnership with Arc. Um, and we, I laughed because I didn't even plan to wear an ARC shirt today, which I did. And then my prior guest was like, everything I'm wearing is from ARC. And she actually <laughs> shops at your store, which I thought was very funny, uh, rather coincidental. So, Bobby, tell us about you, Bobby. I also work at the ARC in Nevada, and I'm kind of a floater. So, and... Track of all, or uh, jack, jack of all, of all trades. trades. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. 
a floater, so you do uh, various positions. Yes. Uh, and uh, Donna mentioned she was a hanger, so you might do that. And I, I've heard you guys work in brick bat brack. And then my friend Lori, she greets uh-huh. at the door, and she tells people, like, uh, which tickets are half off that day. And, uh, by the way, Saturdays, most items are half off. My kids love to go there and spend their allowance. And uh, I actually buy quite a, a few items for the middle school where they have a table where the kids are rewarded for good behavior, and they have good behavior dollars. And then they come in and they purchase. I get a lot of the Beanie Babies mm. uh, and just other fun items at ARC. So what do you like about working for ARC? Mm, the paycheck. Um, uh, Everybody likes the paycheck. That's yes. always a plus, right? <laughs> um, just the activities, classes, friends. And Adam, you work at ARC as well. When he says activities and classes, what is he talking about? He is talking about... We hold ARC University, what is it, Dominic? Twice Once a month? month? I thought it was twice a month. And it just basically covers things like um, living on your own, um, managing a budget, animal care, that kind of stuff. Yeah, all kinds of different topics because I get uh, Dominic's emails and some of the classes I want to go to. I love it. I mean, a lot of them are like learning how to navigate like, um, you know, the transportation system, like public transit. Um, uh, A dentist might come in and talk about that or um, how to interact with friends, boundaries. uh, Like you said, how to live on your own, cooking, like all kinds of classes that help the ambassadors, uh, you know, uh, socialize with each other, make more friends, but also, uh, you know, gain life skills as well. And, you know, Dominic, I say our isn't doesn't just benefit the ambassadors in the community. Um, the ambassadors' parents also are thrilled with ARC and how it gives their kids freedom and a paycheck, as Bobby said. So where do people find out about the locations? And if they've never checked out an ARC, uh, you know, as you mentioned, 27 locations? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yes, uh, you can go, go to our website, arcthrift.org. Or if you need a pickup, you can go uh, dial 303-238-JANE, and we'll come to your doorstep and pick up your, your items. Your and names. that 303-238-JANE, that I use that a lot. I'd say the truck now comes every other month. It used to come every month, but I was running out of stuff to donate. So about every other month, and the truck comes right to my house. So simple, I just put the bags outside. All right, thanks so much, guys, for joining us on the good news. You're all very good news to me. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Good News with Angie Austin. Find the podcast of past shows at AngieAustinRadio.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.